0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast, featuring New York Sports Talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We're doing our college basketball preview on the podcast. We're going to be joined by Patrick Schmidt, the college sports editor for Fansided. We'll talk about all the big headlines in college hoops, including the Champions Classic last night. Two fun basketball games to watch. We'll break down the year with Patrick in just a bit. Show me the money. NFL picks for week number 10 coming up. I had a rough week last week. Went 0-3. Look to bounce back. My good buddy Phil Freyett will be on the line to do some picks this week. Be sure you walked in until the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill, where I weigh in on the rumors about Tom Brady possibly finishing his career in Los Angeles as a member of the Chargers. My thoughts on that coming up at the end of the show. But we'll get on rolling with this week's opening tip, where the Mets finally have a manager and it's a familiar face. That's coming up right after this. Well, I think Carlos has experience and he has life experience. When he sat with us in the room, it was clear that he had an element of consistency every time we spoke. Uh, He knew what the mission was, and it's to win, it's to win games. Uh, He knew that that was going to come off the foundation and the support of players. And if our players perform, we win. And Carlos understands these players in a very unique way. And as he talked to us, he, he indicated he wants to serve. At this point in his life, he wants to serve serve the community, serve the players, and serve the Mets fans. So that was uh, that resonated with us and, and ultimately helped us make the choice. All right, we are back with this week's opening tip. You just heard Mets general manager Burry Van Wagenen breaking down his new manager, Carlos Beltran. And yes, the Mets hired Carlos Beltran to be their new manager. Those are words I never would imagine uttering back when I did the instant reaction after Mickey Cowley got fired. Back then, I, like all the Mets fans, wanted Joe Girardi. I wanted Buck. I wanted Dusty. I wanted somebody with experience for this job. But you know what? It was clear they're not, they are not did not want Girardi. Brody kind of alluded to it, basically said that he wanted Carlos because Carlos is calm. He's was good influence in the clubhouse. Kind of taking a shot at Girardi's intensity, which he might have felt was too much for this group. And of all the first-time guys they were looking at, whether it was Tim Bogart, Eduardo Perez, Pat Murphy... Derek Shelton, that whole group, I think Beltran was probably the best choice for this role because a couple of things in his favor. Number one, he has been in this market before. He has played here. He knows what's like to deal with the media in this town. That's something that Mickey Cowboy was completely unprepared for when he showed up from Cleveland. That is something that will give Beltran a huge leg up because he's well-spoken, he is calm and patient, and he's not going to lose his cool over the silliest things like Mickey did sometimes. So that's point number one. Point number two, I think that's good about this hire is that it sounds like by all indications that the Mets are committed to putting a good staff around him. We've already heard that Jerry Nairn is being floated as a bench coach candidate, former manager at the Cincinnati Reds. T- Beltron himself has said he's interested in Terry Collins. Unclear Terry wants to come out of the, out of the, uh, front office and come back to the bench full-time, but that would be a good resource for Beltron. It sounds like he's committed to this, and the other thing is Beltron does not need this aggravation. He has made over $220 million in his career, so the fact that he wants this job means that he cares about being a manager and that he wants to succeed. The fact that he had opportunities potentially to interview with the Cubs and the Padres, two other organizations with their own pluses, and turn them down to come to the Mets, huge advantage there, because I think that means that this is a guy who's been inside, he's seen all the ugliness, he knows where Skelton in the closet, and he said, you know what, this is where I want to be. That's a positive sign for the cultist organization that he's built. There are concerns, obviously. He's never managed before, and you don't know what it's like to manage until you're actually doing it. Hopefully they put a good support system around him, but you wonder... Is he prepared to make the right double switches, make the right bullpen moves? That's the question for Carlos Beltran. You also wonder about the fact that he is, as I said, he's a little soft-spoken, so you wonder, now he has to deal with the media on an everyday basis, Have to give press conferences before every game and after every game, do local radio interviews every week discussing strategy that the Mets are employing, and that's something I think will be interesting to see how he handles that, because he was not very outspoken as a player, he was more of a lead-by-example guy. I think it'll go over well in the clubhouse, but we'll see how it fares with the media. That's thing number two with that end. The other thing that's also curious is I want to see, like, how much influence the front office has over him because Brody, again, at the press conference went on about collaboration and partnership and all this good stuff, which code where means we're going to have a heavy influence on the lineup card and on the decisions in terms of, like, when we're pitching starters – bullpen strategy, stuff like that. So, The fact that it's Brody and Jeff, again, having influence, not ideal, to say the least. That's, those are things that concern me. The other thing I want to watch this team, and we'll get into more, this more next week when we do a Mets offseason preview edition of the podcast, is what they're going to do in free agency. Because this team was good. They won 86 games, but they're not flawless. They have issues. The bullpen needs work. They could use another impact position player. They need that starter if they're not gonna let bring Zach Wheeler back. And what concerned me was after this press conference, Steve Gells from SNY talked to Brody Van Wagen and asked him, Are you gonna be on the big free agents? Are you gonna be in on the Garrett Coles and the Anthony Renton and the Steven Strasbergs? And Brody responded to that question by listing every third base that felt like the Mets had in the organization. He said, You know, we have Jeff McNeil, we have JD Davis, we have Jet Lowry, we're okay there. And the thing that scared me was he's like, We are gonna be creative for the Mets creative is usually code for cheap in other words those of you who are dreaming about Anthony Rendon forget it he's not coming here those of you dream about Garrett Cole forming a super rotation with DeGrom and Syndergaard forget it he's not coming here you're lucky if they gonna even bring Zach Wheeler back who they gave the qualifying offer to and we'll see if they actually want to pay off to keep him because Wheeler has made it clear he wants to stay We will see what they do there. But in terms of this hire, Beltran said all the right things. Everything seems smooth. Everything seems nice. But we said the same thing about Mickey when he first came on. He won the press conference. But until we see him in the dugout, making these decisions against the Nationals on opening day, against the Phillies in July when they need the game, potentially down the stretch, we won't know about Carlos Beltran, the manager, until then. But... There is every chance this to go right. It's another good outside-the-box hire. And I give the Mets credit for not being turned off to first-time managers after the Mickey experience. They could have done what the Phillies did only viewed to experienced candidates. They opened their doors up and explored as many options as possible. Where they lay on the right one remains to be seen, but props to them for being creative in that sense. We'll talk more about the Mets next week, but up next... We will go to our college hoops preview with Patrick Schmidt right after this. Good job by Henry, not giving to Maxie any room at all. Look at him—he's on a defensive stance. Oh, what?
1: Wow. Oh, oh, are you serious? Are you serious? Come on, Maxie, you're a freshman. This your first game? Are you for real? Oh man, are you serious? Look at that slam! Look at that slam! Oh man, oh. Oh. is the Calipari? You gotta stop.
0: All right, we are back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. That call you just heard courtesy of ESPN's Dan Shulman and Dick Vitale. Tyrese Maxey, a star being born for Kentucky last night the Champions Classic. College basketball up to a fast start. And joining me today to break down some early headlines for the college hoop season is science, college sports editor, Patrick Schmidt, who's been on the show a couple times before. Patrick, welcome back. How are you today?
1: Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, I'm doing well, college basketball is- Tipped off, college football's and the in the middle of their uh, crazy season. Got a big game upcoming with LSU, Alabama. So, a lot of stuff's happening, and I'm thrilled.
0: Yeah, I'm thrilled too. I'm more of a college hoops guy. So this is my wheelhouse. The mm-hmm. Champions Classic last night was just so much fun with these four teams, the top four in the polls, and I feel like I got some good games out of it.
1: Yeah, I was really pumped for this, uh, kind of like a, a preseason Final Four almost. You know, um, you know, four great programs, four blue bloods. You know, it just happened to work out perfectly that it was one versus two and three versus four. Um, maybe a little bit of a sloppy uh, sloppy game, at least with the, the duke Kansas game, and certainly some moments uh, with the Spartans and Wildcats. But it was awesome. We saw a lot of great players, a lot of players that are going to get better as the season goes on. These teams are going to jowl, and they're going to shake the rust off the early season stuff that uh, that really hinders a lot of these teams early on and that's why we see a lot of teams play uh inferior opponents and lower level teams but yeah i was pumped to see uh see both those games last night and you know maybe not exactly uh you know final four level caliber play but certainly some exciting play and uh you know from some great teams and you know those four that played you know i wouldn't be surprised to see you know two of them or so in the final four at the end of the year
0: yeah, these seem to be the four favorites right now. So let's stick with a couple of them. We start. We'll start with the top team, Michigan State. They lost last night to Kentucky after after Tyrese Maxey came off the bench, just went off on them. So, they're right now the fir- the uh, number one for the first time in program history. Do you think they're the favorite? Do you think they have some issues that concern you?
1: Um. Yeah, I would say you know the number one preseason ranking was was deserved. Um, you know, would they be the prohibitive favorite for me? I don't know about, you know, singling them out as the one. I, I might have them in a group of four or five other schools, uh, that are kinda all in the same kind of, you know, ground here right now. But um yeah, certainly, you know, you got Cassius Winston. You know, he might be the best player in college basketball, was the only unanimous preseason All American. Um, you know, he put up twenty one points last night. He played good, but he didn't play good enough and he, you know, he struggled from beyond the arc. I think he was one of seven from three knocked on his free throws, which is which is great, but you know, he also didn't have enough help from his supporting cast, and um, you know that's that's why they lost by seven. And you know, you get a superstar in the making with Tyrese Maxey making that that circus shot three that uh, that we heard at the start here. Just you know, five, six, seven feet. Of, it felt like beyond the uh, beyond the line. So you know, when that shot's falling, sometimes it's just not your night. Um, you know, that night it was for Kentucky. Um, you know, really, it was both superstars leading both their teams. Really not a whole lot going on from uh, the secondary and third-level stars. But nice game. Michigan State will be better. You know, they'll get Langford back when he comes back from his injury. Uh, Izzo will have his team ready to play. But, um, yeah, initial impressions, good. There are some issues to be to be worked out. But uh, this is only game one. They'll have a couple months to do that before things really kind of intensify with conference play. So, and I wouldn't be worried if I was a Spartans fan. They're going to be really, really good.
0: Yeah, I think they will be really good. Kentucky's also going to be really good. And they I think they're going to be scary to because this kind of reminds me of a little bit of the 15 team where, like, they have a couple of big guys mm-hmm. come back. They have this big, loaded freshman class come in. And I'm not saying they're going undefeated into the tournament like this, like that group did, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're, like, a 30-2 and two kind of team heading into March.
1: Yeah, and that'll all kind of, you know, I mean, you have the talent on the team itself, but then it kind of also depends on the SEC. I think Florida's going to be really, really good in the SEC. Uh, We'll see if there are any other elite, you know, kind of teams that emerge. I don't know about LSU and uh, some of the other schools, Auburn maybe. I don't know. But, yeah, Kentucky's certainly very, very talented. Coach Cal, we know how great of a coach he is, how great this program is, how great their fans support this team. So, Maxie, I mean, if he can, you know, put up 20-plus, 25, you know, points a game like he did the other night where, uh, you know, he was, you know, next-level good. Um, you know, the sky's the limit for him. The ceiling is the roof, if you will, to borrow a, a great line from MJ. But um, yeah, if they uh if they only drop two in the regular season, I, I might be a little bit surprised I'd probably take the over on that. But uh, you know, I certainly agree with your your line of thought that this is uh, an elite team that's gonna go really, really far this year.
0: Yeah, let's go to the other game, the Duke candace game, which feels weird, that that's the undercard, but that's but that's what it was mm-hmm. last night and we saw our first look at post-Zion Duke, and I was not impressed because I, they still can't shoot the three. Their pieces don't seem to match yet. Trey Jones has not gotten much better shooting the ball. I, if I'm a Duke fan, I would be concerned.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. They got the win, but they didn't really play that well. You know, Kansas really gave that game away. Like, literally, they had, like, 28 turnovers. But, yeah, Trey Jones, he's a hes a great leader, great floor general. And then you look at the stats, you have 15, 6, and 7, like, all right, yeah, you know, those are those are pretty good numbers, but over 4 from 3, 5-14 of 14 from the field overall, like, you know, this is, you know, kind of what we were saying last year about that Duke team as talented as they were with Zion and RJ and Cam Reddish. They couldn't really hit, you know, shots in the perimeter. And to your point, do all of these pieces fit? You know, you bring in five-star recruits left and right, but, you know, like, you're not trying to assemble a great recruiting class, you're trying to it's almost great recruiting class that can win and win together. So that might be a little bit of a disconnect right now. But, again, it's early. They're going to work uh, things, things out. But, yeah, if I'm a Duke fan, I am concerned about the uh, the shot-making ability of these teams, especially from, you know, my guard. You know, some of the bigs, they could be streaky. They might be able to hit a couple of shots. But you're not going to win in March and early April if you can't knock down any threes. So a win is nice. But yeah, questions remain for the Blue Devils.
0: Yeah, in Kansas last night's show they can't hit shots on the outside. The turnovers killed them. But I think the thing with them is going to haunt their years. It's this lingering cloud of the NCAA uh, sanctions hanging over them. That they're facing potentially big time penalties. So, do you think this is going to affect this team as the year goes on?
1: You know, I I want to say no. I, I want to say like no. Especially like the players, like you know, they don't really care. Like they're just they're there to play ball and shoot. And you know, I I want to say the same thing for the coaches as well. Like yeah, I think the coaches would be better equipped to kind of block out the noise and, and not read what's being written and, and not listen what's being said about them, but no, that's also human nature. Like Sometimes it's tough to block out those distractions, and as much as I want to say, like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, and, and I, I kind of do it as they like, how scandals don't really matter anymore, but uh, you know, it's tough. You can't uh, discount that human element, but... Now, I think the bigger concern for Kansas is you can't turn the ball over that many times. Like, they look terrible and, like, not ready to play. And and I wonder if things might be different if they had, you know, five, ten games under their belt before they played Duke. But they played awful. They did not look good at all. They definitely did not look like the number three team in the nation. I kind of wonder how far they'll drop in the next top 25. But still, it's a talented roster with a great coach. You know, it was a, a bad first impression,
0: but again,
1: plenty of time to
0: kind of right the ship. Yeah, they do have plenty of time to right the ship, and we'll go to an, the uh, defending champs as well, Virginia, who they have not gotten a lot of hype because they lost so many guys to the NBA. With They still have a few key guys there. They have M- Mamadi Kite, they have Kihei Clark, they have a nice recruiting class coming in. Do you... Think that they're going to be a big threat this year? That they're kind of be like a three, four, or five c kind of deal, where it's kind of hanging around the top, but not really a big threat to win at all.
1: Yeah, I tend to think it's the latter. You know, it's going to be a good team, it's a good program, it's a great coach, um, but the ACC, you know, we say it every year it's tough. Uh, we just talked about Duke. You know, they might. This might be the second or third best team in the ACC this year. Louisville is really good. We'll see North Carolina in a couple hours from the, the time we're talking right now. We'll see how good they look. But um, Yeah, Virginia, I think they'll be good. I don't think they're going to be great. They're going to lose some games along the way. They'll, they'll win some games they're not supposed to because of their style of play. But, yeah, I'd say they're maybe the fourth or fifth best team in the ACC. Uh, capable of making noise, but I I don't think it's going to be anything near what we've seen over the last couple of years from the Cavs.
0: Yeah, that makes some sense as well. And for the local flavor around here in the New York area, I think the team to watch in this area is Seton Hall, and they bring back basically everybody from last year's team that was great down the stretch, including Miles Powell, I think is an underrated candidate for player of the year nationally. So what do you think of Seton Hall entering the year?
1: Yeah, I I know everything you just said there. Miles Powell, you know, probably one of the better uh, players in the country. It seems like when we talk about, like, the best players, or at least I'm guilty of this, it's like, all right, who are the best, you know, four or five freshmen in the country? And then it's like, okay, well, these guys are going to be the best wooden candidates. But, um, yeah, Powell, he's a stud. had a great uh, great opener, 25, 27 points, I think it was. Um, you know, as long as the, the coaching situation kind of stabilizes itself, and it, it sounds like it will, uh, you know, from the outside looking in. But, yeah, they're really, really good. Um, you know I think they'll, they'll definitely go a little bit further in advance than they did last year where, where they were in early out and, and certainly disappointing. but uh, you know that could that could definitely help fuel this team and keep them motivated um, you know throughout the year, not just you know in February and March, but you know in November, December, January, it's like a, it's a, a big time mission. It's not just like a short-term goal. So you know I would certainly be excited. Um, let me ask you a question. This is probably the, uh, the most anticipated season for C basketball and gosh, ten,
0: fifteen, twenty five years? Yeah, it sounds about right because I mean they had some teams that made the tournament a couple like back like in the early two thousands, but they have not been mm-hmm. like just, you know, a perennial powerhouse. The last couple of years under Kevin Willow, they really built a nice little program out there.
1: Yeah, so yeah, I think I think they're they're gonna be good. They're gonna be in the next all year long biggies, you know, great conference. We know that, but uh, you get a player like Powell that could really be like the catalyst and the leader and kind of shoulder the, the responsibilities. you know who's going to hit the shot you know you know when you're you're down three or you're down two and you got 10 seconds to go and you need somebody to hit a bucket so uh having those guys it's invaluable so yeah I would be excited if I'm a Seton Hall fan I'd be uh cautiously optimistic they can maybe you know go on a sweet 16 you know kind of a run this year
0: absolutely they I, I, I definitely can and I want to circle back a little bit to Tyrese Maxey, who was one of the breakout freshmen last night and was dominant, but what other freshmen besides him are you excited to see going forward this year?
1: Oh, man, there's, there's a few of them. I'm, I'm pumped to see James Weiss, and we saw him last night in his opener for Memphis. I mean, you could talk about the whole, like, Memphis starting five. Like, uh, they could be, like, this generation's Fab Five. You know, thinking back to what Michigan had, gosh, a, a long time ago in the 90s with Weber and Howard and Jim Rose and those dudes, but uh, yeah, Weissman, you know, seven-footer, athletic. He, he kind of looks like Chris Bosh. I want to see more of his game to see if his game matches what Chris Bosh could do. But uh, had a monster performance. Uh, I think he's just second to R.J. Barrett as far as most points scored by a number one recruit in his debut. So I think he had 28 points. So uh, certainly impressive. He might be the number one pick in the NBA draft. Uh, Anthony Edwards at Georgia uh a, a georgia kid you know we don't normally talk about georgia basketball all too often but uh he's a stud he might be like the next uh Dwayne wade or james harden type of uh you know combo guard electric really can do it all he's he's gonna be so good to watch and it's you know it's georgia basketball so we don't know what their ceiling is uh but you know tom green's there uh, we'll see what kind of noise they can make um Let's see, who else we got here? Oh, Cole Anthony at North Carolina. I I'm super excited to see what he can do. Um, they're tipping off in a couple hours from the time we talk now against Notre Dame. He's going to be a stud just like Anthony Edwards, just like James Weiss. And those guys might be the, the top three picks, you know, in the draft coming up this year. So those will probably be my uh, my, my big three, for sure, from the, uh, from the freshman phenoms.
0: Yeah, I, I'm a Knicks fan, so I'm going to be expecting to get one of these guys on my team next year. So I'm look, really curious to see which <laughs> of them emerges. One the
1: Knicks will win the lottery, right? And they'll, they'll get the uh, the next transcendent star.
0: Yeah, even though R.J. Barrett has been good for them. So I'd like to see them win the lottery for once. Maybe end up with like a Cole Anthony or a Wiseman to pair with R.J. Barrett, and then they become a destination for people.
1: Yeah, there you go. I mean, when we're seeing that it, it's been a little bit tough to get free agents to, uh, to come there. But yeah, you build through the draft, R.J. Barrett's going to be really good um so yeah you get a somebody you get a, an edwards or an anthony to pair with uh with rj and then you know then you can start talking and you start getting a little excited and then you say hey well maybe we can pluck that that one big prime free agent uh to kind of form a big three there so yeah you know i'm a bulls fan so i've kind of been like you know losing in the lottery as well like they're only picking sixth or seventh or something like that maybe um you know the top elite uh incoming draftees but uh yeah we're right there with you at least uh you know, if our NBA team struggles, we could at least watch a college game and see uh, who the next wave of uh, great NBA stars are going to be. And you know, we got a couple of great ones right now on the uh, college basketball. Right now, no Zion Williamson level talents, but um, certainly some great players nonetheless.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we've touched on some of the big teams like nationally. Who are some like teams aside from the powerhouses that you feel like are not getting enough attention that you think are going to be good this year? Hmm.
1: Yeah. When we talk sleepers, like I I was looking at kind of like some of the uh, the betting odds and whatnot, like who, you know, who can go into like a final four run or or something like that. And now I was thinking like Oregon, you know, they can maybe do it. Marquette, um, you know, with Marcus back, like he's, he's a stud. NC State, I was thinking about Arizona, you know, Washington, Washington's got a couple of dynamic freshman too that we didn't talk about, but no, those are all, you know, Power five schools, but You know, I don't even know if they classify as a sleeper, but Utah State is a program I really like. They have, like, their entire team back from last year. They got a great coach. I think they could maybe, uh, they could make a lot of noise out west. I mean, St. Mary's is another great team. I don't know if they'd be a quote-unquote sleeper either, but uh, they'd be Wisconsin in their opener. They're in the top 25, uh, just like Utah State. But uh, those are a couple of, uh, I guess, non- Premier non-big time programs that uh, I think would be really, really good this year.
0: Yeah, and you know, from my work at Fanside, I love them keeping an eye on the mid mayors and those two are on my list. Especially Utah State with their big guy Nemus uh, Krita, who is an NBA mm-hmm. prospect, and like that's a big thing to have in college hoops. If you have a one premier guy like that, that can c- carry you a long way.
1: Yeah, it's like it's matchup basketball, so it's like you get a stud and, and nobody could stop, and you're like, all right, well we like our chances. Let's go go to war with this guy. So, yeah, I I love to root for the mid majors. you know, like Gonzaga for years and years and years. Like they were, you know, kind of like America's team, you know, like everybody loved a good Cinderella story and, you know, the mid-major programs have really been elevated. It feels like over the last, I don't know, five, 10-ish years or so, where, you know, the coaching is really good. There's a lot of like player development there. You get a lot of, um, Uh, junior and senior-laden rosters, so you get a lot of veteran experience, whereas some of these, um, you know, power programs, you know, they might have a lot of talent, but it's a lot of freshman talent, and it's a lot of talent that isn't used to playing with each other, and it isn't used to playing in, like, big-time situations, so um, we see a lot of uh, inferior talent, you know, winning in those types of games, so... Yeah, I'm a big mid mid major guy and, you know, Utah State, St. Mary's, those are probably my two favorites that I'll be watching this year, along with, you know, BCU and a handful of others that emerge over the course of the season.
0: All right. That's all that's all the uh stuff we got for you today. Patrick Smith, thank you for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, do you want everybody to know how I follow you on social media and some of the stuff we're up to at Fansite for college hoop season?
1: Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Patrick A. Schmidt, And, uh, yeah, we're going to have great stuff covering college basketball all season long from now until the Nets are cut after the Final Four in April. So, follow along. We'll have all sorts of great content for you all season long.
0: All right, Patrick. Thanks for the time. I really appreciate
1: it. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: All right, and that was Patrick Schmidt from Fanside with a breakdown of the big storylines from college basketball as the season begins. Up next, NFL picks. Show me the money for week number 10 right after this.
2: Show me the money.
0: let <laughs> All right, show me the money NFL picks for week number 10. It's Jet Giant week, so I need to get a Giant fan on and do the picks, and I went to my favorite Giant fan uh, of everyone I know, Phil Frey, our legal correspondent, back to do some picks this year. Phil, welcome. How are you?
2: Hey, Mike. I'm doing well. Good to be back. Uh, I don't know about favorite Giant fan, no, but but I appreciate the compliment.
0: All right, so last time you were on here, we did some over-unders, and this one came down to the wire, but thanks to this, First plate appearance since July the 26th, two out and two on. Dom cracks one, deep right center, back toward the wall. It's out of here. (laughs) The never say die Mets finish the season on
1: an incredible note.
0: Thanks to the Dom Smith walk-off homer. Ends up winning the over-unders five to four on you. That was a wild finish.
2: Yeah, yeah, Dom Smith Dom Smith got me there. Uh you know, I wasn't I wasn't too far off on Cleveland. They uh they did miss the playoffs like I said they would, but, but they won a few more games than I thought they would, so they beat the number.
0: Yeah, the Met one was crazy, cause I I remember I texted you in the middle of July, I said, Well the Met one's over and then they went nuclear hot down the stretch and got it for me.
2: Yeah, yeah, they did. Uh they did. But but yeah, we both did pretty well, but uh Dom Smith got me.
0: Yeah doing far better in baseball than I'm doing it in football, but I'll save that for another day. Let's get to the Giants a little bit. You saw Monday night against the Cowboys. They played pretty well for a bit. Then the Black Cat comes out, and everything goes to hell. There's fumbling. Genoa Shane is not tackling. I feel like this is kind of a typical Giant effort this year.
2: Yeah, look, the, the, it's it's not just this year. The, the Giants are terrible, uh, and it's, it's hard for a lot of Giant fans to wrap their heads around for some reason, but this is – the Giants, I believe, have the most losses in the NFL in the past three seasons, uh, and if not the most, it's certainly up there. They're they're a bad team. They're they're very poorly run by Dave Gettleman. Uh, I know Justin Diaz has been on this podcast, echoing these same sentiments. But a lot of uh, a lot of Giants fans just don't want to admit it. But you know they've been a bad team for a while now. The one playoff appearance in eight years, and the past three years especially have just been rough so it's gotten to the point where if you see the Giants on the schedule and you're a fan of the opposing team you should expect to win that game
0: yeah it's something I mean they're playing the Jets week but before you even get to that these two teams made a trade for the first time ever last week and the Giants, Jets sent Leonard Williams over there for a three and a five becomes a four in 2021 if Leonard resigns for the uh, year start so what was your take when you saw this trade go down
2: well first of all I was shocked that the Jets and Giants made a trade but putting that aside, uh, it's typical Dave Gettleman, and this is why the Giants are where they are. So Dave Gettleman goes out and he trades a third-round pick for a guy who most people consider to be a bust and for eight games of that guy, and then to have the right to maybe re-sign him. If you wanted Leonard Williams so bad, why didn't you just sign him as a free agent at the end of the season? The Jets aren't bringing
0: him back. Yeah, the Jets not paying him $15 million a year.
2: Right, so if Dave Gettleman thinks he's worth $15 million a year, why don't you just sign him at the end of the year? But it's typical Gettleman. It shows a complete unawareness and understand, complete misunderstanding of positional value. Uh, an interior defensive lineman just simply is not worth that much in today's NFL, and I wouldn't give up a, a third-round pick, which is going to be at the top of the third round for Leonard Williams for eight games, eight games of a lost season.
0: Yeah, and we saw Leonard play on Monday night against the Giants. It was a typical letter. I mean, he was pushing the pocket a little bit, didn't really get on the stats. He had the one penalty get wiped off, and it was basically the exact same letter, just in blue instead of green.
2: You wouldn't even know he was on the field for most of the game. So I just I don't get it, but it's Dave Gettleman. He has no understanding of positional value, and he, the guy is, you know, he still thinks it's 1975, and, and it's not. And that's why the Giants will continue to lose as long as that guy has a job.
0: Yeah, and right now they're like this is it's a little inside podcasting here. This was the first podcast pick week that was locked in all year. We Phil and I agreed to do week ten for Jet Giants, and boy, we did not expect that the stay in New York football be so bad when we did this because these two teams are a combined three and fourteen entering this game, which literally is now the toilet bowl of the NFL outside of Cincinnati, Miami.
2: Well, I did expect that the Giants would be this bad. Uh, the Jets have surprised me. I thought they'd be a little better.
0: Yeah, I thought the Jets would be a lot better than this, and as we saw last week against Miami, they are just going down as fast as possible, and there's no end in sight with this team.
2: I don't understand why Adam Gates still has a job. Uh, maybe Christopher Johnson, maybe this weekend, if they lose, that'll be enough to get rid of him, but Gates has to go. He's uh, he's hurting, hurting your quarterback, and you can't have that.
0: Yeah, you absolutely can't. I mean, we've seen this year the two quarterbacks who are free of Adam Gase and Ryan Tannehill and Matt Moore have both played very very well for their teams while Darnold's taking big steps backwards
2: Darnold at the end of last year was making strides and he seems to have completely lost all of it and I I gotta put that on Adam Gase
0: yeah so um, this is probably I think the least anticipated Jet Giant game I think ever just because these teams are so bad there's no hope really for either franchise this year and who knows when the next time either one of them will like the playoffs is it's
2: hard to even put the Giants on anymore uh I I sit there and I watch the games because I'm a diehard but I I gotta tell you it's it's just it hurts it hurts to watch because you're watching just terrible terrible football
0: I know the feeling I've already made it clear I'm gonna put it on the air on the podcast here as long as Adam Gase is the jet head coach I will not step foot in MetLife Stadium again because I'm I'm fed up with him absolutely yeah
2: Absolutely. Uh, you couldn't pay me enough money to drive all the way down there to watch the Giants play. No way.
0: Yeah, let's get to the picks this week. Our, our good friend Dan Martini was here last week doing the picks. He went 1-2. and two. He lost with his Colts laying the point in, in Pittsburgh. He got a chance to win it if Adam Vinatieri makes the kick, but he did not. He lost with the Browns plus 2.5 in Denver. The Browns got shredded by Brandon Allen and company. It's another bad year for Cleveland. He did get the Bills laying 10 in Buffalo against the Redskins. That was his one correct pick. I, on the other hand, I went 0-3. Downward trend for me. I had the the Redskins in that game getting the 10 points. I thought I was in it for a bit, and then the Bills just pulled away. I had the Pats laying the f- five points against the Ravens. We know what happened there. And I had the Packers laying three in, in L.A. against the Chargers, and they did not show up for that game. So, a bad 0-3 for me.
2: Yeah, that that's... uh the packer one was stunning really but
0: yeah the packer one was bad wing england i thought they would play well i thought they were confused on Larry jackson but apparently not so on the year the challengers are 15 and 12 i am 16 and 11 i had a big lead it's starting to shrink phil has a chance to give the challengers a lead this week with his picks and you are up first with pick number one so where are you going
2: well that's a lot of pressure but uh I guess I'll start with the uh, what I think is the easy one. Uh, I love the Colts at home. We have them as a 10.5-point favorite against the Dolphins. I know Miami won last week, but I think that's the only win you're going to see from the Miami Dolphins. I expect the Colts to take care of business, right the ship, and beat the Dolphins by at least two touchdowns.
0: I agree with that logic completely. I mean, even if Jacoby Brissett is out for this game, it sounds like he's going to play. I think you have no issue with them covering a 10 and a half point spread at home against the Dolphins, who got there one way, will now go back to tanking. So, where are you going with your next pick?
2: Next pick, uh, I'm going to go with the pick this week, which is the Chargers at the Raiders. Uh, we had the Raiders as a one point underdog, so uh, I- I'm going to take the Chargers in that game. The Chargers have been playing well. Uh, I know they made that switch at offensive coordinator, and that seems to have sparked the offense. The defense, they, they have a talented bunch over there, and I like the Chargers to go in and win that game, and I like the number as basically just a pick-em.
0: Yeah, it is basically just a pick-em. I would be terrified of the Chargers just because they have burned so many people on the lines this year, including a bunch of people on the Challengers team on the podcast. So I will win the Raiders myself, but I can understand the logic behind the Charger pick. So where are you going with your final pick of the week?
2: Final pick of the week, I am going to take the Buffalo Bills as a three-point underdog at the Cleveland Browns. Uh, The Browns are terrible. You alluded to it earlier. That that franchise and the organization, uh, they seem cursed. Baker Makefield, uh, I'm not even sure if it's the same guy as was on the field last year. He looks terrible. The Browns look terrible. And uh, I don't love the Buffalo team, but this is more of a pick against the Browns than it is for the Bills.
0: Yeah, I love this number because when I saw the spread this week, I was looking at I'm like, how are the Browns favoring this football game? Buffalo's a good team, and get they don't score a lot, and I get they've had issues on the road. But, like, these are two very different teams, and the fact that Browns are favorite, I think it is just too much hype for Cleveland again.
2: I agree. Yeah, look, I'll, uh, I'll take the points because they're giving them to me, but I would take this game money line. I don't, I don't even need the points. I, I think the Bills are going to outright win that game.
0: All right, those are your picks on the board. I am up now for my three. Pick number one, I'm going with the Kansas City Chiefs, laying three and a half in Tennessee against the Titans. I'm betting on Patrick Mahomes being back for this game, but even if he's not, Matt Moore has played well enough for them to win this football game in Tennessee. The Titans are, are a very weird team this year. I don't like them a lot. Their defense is okay. Tannehill has spark the offense a little bit, but this is a very manageable number. The Chiefs have a ton of weapons. I think they're going to win this football game by a touchdown. So it's going to be Kansas City laying the three and a half in Tennessee. Pick one.
2: I like that pick. Uh, you know, Tennessee, they, they play hard, and I think they'll be in the game, but I, I can see them losing at the end by a touchdown or ten touchdown and a field goal. Uh, I think they'll keep it close, but I, I, they just can't keep up with the Chiefs, with or without Mahomes.
0: All right, that's my first pick. Pick number two, I'm going to the Snoopy Bowl in MetLife. I'm taking the Giants, laying the two and a two-and-a-half at home against, in MetLife against the Jets just because the Jets are not a competitive football team right now. I've seen nothing over the past like six weeks outside the Dallas game to convince me they're going to be even in this football game. It's a very low number. It's almost a pick 'em game essentially. The Giants have to win by a field goal, and the Giants we've seen the past few weeks are at least in the games against better teams, and then they collapse at the end. They are this is a team that they are better than, so I think they will win this game. So give me the Giants laying the two and a half against the Jets for pick two.
2: I can't, I can't pick the Giants to beat anybody in the NFL. The Jets, the Dolphins, there's nobody who I would feel confident picking the Giants. I agree that they're a better team than the Jets right now, but that doesn't mean they're going to win. Uh, I, I, I'm terrified of that game. That's why I stayed away from it. My heart wants the Giants to lose because I'm hoping that an embarrassment like that will get John Mara to finally fire Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer. But uh, I, I, would, I would stay away from that one because who knows? That's, that's just two bad, bad football teams.
0: Yeah, that's more of an anti-Jet pick than a pro-Giant pick, honestly. that's what, That was my rationale for it.
2: Yeah, I could see that. I mean, look, the, the Jets, they're terrible, too. But uh, until I see the Giants go out and beat somebody, uh, I'm not going to believe that it's cap- they can do it.
0: All right, that's pick number two. Pick number three, I'm going to the Monday Night Football game this week. I'm taking the Seahawks down to six points in San Francisco against the 49ers. And the 49ers are a very good team. They are 8-0. But I don't feel like they've been tested too much yet. And Seattle has, I think, the presumptive favorite for MVP in Russell Wilson. He's got 22 touchdowns against one pick this year. And he's going to bring them in there. They're going to be competitive in that game. And the number for me is too big. at six. I feel like these kinds of games of these division leaders going up against each other and Seattle having the more experienced quarterback, I feel like that should be close to a three-point number. I'm getting six for Seattle. So give me the points. Give me Seattle plus six for my last pick of the week.
2: Yeah, I like that pick. Six is a big number there. Uh, I do like the Niners. I think they're I think they're a good team. That defense is great, but I could see them winning this game by a field goal, not a touchdown. So I like that pick.
0: All right, to reset the picks for the week, Phil has gone with the Chargers, laying one in Oakland against the Raiders on Thursday night. He has gone with the Buffalo Bills getting three points in Cleveland against the Browns for pick number two. And he's also gone with the Indianapolis Colts laying 10 and a half at home against the one-win Miami Dolphins. I have gone with the Kansas City Chiefs laying three and a half in Tennessee against the Titans. The Giants laying two and a half in a de facto home game against the Jets at MetLife and the Seahawks. Plus six in San Francisco on Monday Night Football. And those are your picks for week number 10 of Show Me the Money. Next week, I'll bring a Jet fan in to recap Jets-Giants. Rocky DePala will be in to do the picks next week. Phil, thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, do you have any bold predictions you want to make for the New York Yankee offseason?
2: Oof, uh, that, that's, you're putting me on the spot with that one. Uh, I think that the Yankees are going to do what they have done The past few years, I think they'll dabble with Garrett Cole, and I think they'll dabble with Steven Strasburg, but I'd be surprised if they sign either of them. I think they're going to end up with Zach Wheeler, and they're going to try and sell you, look, uh, we've got had a ton of guys out last year. We're going to get those guys back, and we're going to go for it. We were so, so close, a couple of hits away from the World Series, uh, and we think that this team can do it. That, that's my prediction. I, I would just be surprised if Hal opens up the, the checkbook to really go out and get one of those big-time starters.
0: Yeah, I w- I, the signs need to point against it. I know that they can if they want to, but the, the argument they seem to be making is that, you know what, like, hey, like if we go over the luxury attack, that's money being used to compete against us. I feel like that's sort of their hesitation about it.
2: Yeah, and and, and it's true. But, you know, uh, on the flip side, they have a lot of money coming off the books. So we'll see. Uh, it's it's unfortunate they came, they did come super close, and – you know, get those guys healthy. Maybe it happens. But, uh, man, I, I really do hope they go out and get Cole. I think he's the finishing piece.
0: I think it's more likely to get up with Wheeler. Because I feel like Wheeler is leaving the Mets because they'd be too cheap to sign him.
2: No, uh, I mean, I think we can all agree that the Mets are – you're not going to hear their name connected to any of these people.
0: No, Brody said during the press conference with Beltron, he's going to be created to fill third base. So that just tells you that's just a code word for cheap.
2: Yep, uh, that's, that sounds like the Mets. Uh, we're still paying the price for Bernie Madoff 10 years later.
0: All right, Phil. Thanks again. I really appreciate it.
2: All right. Thanks, Mike. Uh, talk to you soon, and maybe I'll come back on in March for some over-unders.
0: Sounds like a plan, my friend.
2: All right. Take care.
0: All right. There we have it. That was Phil Frietto with your NFL picks for week number 10. Up next, this week's Two Minute Drill, where I look at the rumors, Ryan Tom Brady, the Chargers, right after this. It's amazing. They've had a lot of success together. It's a,
1: been a great relationship. Fake to Sonny Michelle.
0: Oh, and he's got him. Dorsett, touchdown. 25-yard touchdown pass, Brady. Just watch
1: the the hold that this gets, and then you're going to see Dorsett. He's going to sneak out right here. But look at the hold. Look at the linebackers. They're all chewed up by this play fake. This is a
0: huge opening for the quarterback and receiver. All right, we are back with this week's two-minute drill. That call you just heard from earlier this season, Tom Brady throwing a touchdown pass against the Jets to fill up Dorsett off play action. Another good season for the Pats and Tom Brady, and they appear well on their way to the top seed in the AFC. And Tom Brady's legacy is undisputed. He's going to go down into the Hall of Fame as the greatest quarterback who ever lived, enough Super Bowl rings to basically outfit an entire family. All that good stuff, but there have been some interesting rumblings coming out over the past few weeks about his future. Everybody knows that Brady's contract, the way it's set up, it voids in March, so he becomes a free agent. In the past, that usually has not been an issue because he re-signs usually at a team-friendly rate so the Patriots can keep adding guys around him and keep winning. But there are some rumblings starting to emerge that that might not be the case this time. Let's start out back when they played the Jets on Monday Night Football. Uh, back in Week 7. Prior to that game, ESPN's Adam Schefter reported that Brady is starting to maneuver a bit to hint that he might be leaving New England at the end of this year. Probably, apparently, he's put his house up for sale. His trainer, Alex Guerrero, has put his uh, Matthews-based home up for sale. That combined the voided contract led Schefter to point out that people around the league think maybe Brady's planning an exit strategy. And then we got a report earlier, this, earlier last week from CBS Sports is Jason Lockenfoor that puts the Los Angeles Chargers as a potential destination that intrigues Tom Brady. I know all of the Chargers fans are thinking. Why do we want Tom Brady? We have Philip Rivers. He's a great quarterback. He's a future Hall of Famer. He's our guy. Rivers is also a free agent at the end of the season. So the opportunity is there if the if the uh Chargers want to do it. Brady wants to do it, in theory, because of a couple of reasons. Number one, based in California. Grew up a 49er fan, rooting for Joe Montana. Has a lot of roots there. Has family in the Bay Area. So, going down to L.A., would bring him a lot closer to home than he is right now up in uh, Boston. Number two, again, his trainer, Alex Guerrero, has bases in California. Tom House, his throwing coordinator, based in Southern California. A little familiarity there for Brady. And number three, a unique challenge that Brady would get is he could establish the Chargers in that market, and he could become a star presence for Los Angeles, and the Chargers desperately need that. Since they've moved out to L.A., they have not been accepted at all by the Los Angeles faithful. The Rams have become their team, but the Chargers, they play a tiny pub center, Nobody goes to their games. It's all the visiting team's fans. We saw it earlier this year when the Steelers came in. We saw it uh, yesterday when the Packers went into the building. I mean, they need help establishing roots in L.A. And what do L.A. people love? Star power. Who is arguably the biggest star in the league still? Tom Brady. Tom Brady could go there. The NFL would love it because that would justify their idiotic decision to pull the Chargers out of San Diego, which loved that franchise and put them in L.A. where no one cares. All of a sudden, you put Tom Brady on the Chargers as they go into the new stadium next year. Remember, they're already been rumbling that they're having trouble selling PSLs and tickets to that building. You could see all the banners with Tom Brady up there. All the banners with Brady in Charger blue and and the powder blue uniforms. And that could get all the stars to come out to Charger games and make them a must-see destination. Kind of what happened with uh, Wayne Gretzky and the Kings back in the day when the... Oilers trade him to Los Angeles. It really saved the Kings franchise. The Kings were going nowhere. And all of a sudden, people pay attention because they had Wayne Gretzky. Even if Tom Brady plays a year or two in Los Angeles, it could make a lot of sense for the Chargers to try and establish roots in there. This would be a major diss to Rivers, who has been nothing but loyal to that franchise. But this is a business at the end of the day. And the business decision of having Tom Brady there would make sense if Brady's open to it. And you're wondering, why would Brady go? Why would he leave New England where he's beloved? where he can go out on his own terms. If they win the Super Bowl this year, it'd be another ring and he could go out on top. Brady, number one, has a big ego. Brady said he wants to play till he's 45 years old. He's only 42 right now, so that would be another couple of years, and maybe the Chargers are where he does it. That's number one. Number two, going to L.A. is more just football for him. It could be about building a brand after his career is over. That was the motivation, I think, for LeBron going to L.A., A lot of stars are born in L.A., and maybe Brady has eyes on doing things off the field after his career is over besides football. Going to L.A. could be the ticket to that. That's number two. And number three, this is just something that happens in the NFL. Not a lot of stars finish their career with one team. I mean, Peyton Manning was a Bronco at the end of his career. Brett Favre played for the Vikings and the Jets after he left the Packers. It happens all over the place, and these teams, they love their players, but it comes to a point where, you know what, Brady's been there a long time. Maybe he wants a change. Maybe if they win another ring, the Patriots say, you know what, now is our time to get a quarterback, because this quarterback class upcoming is very loaded. Maybe they say, okay, now is the time for us to start our future, draft a young quarterback, and... That creates a major distraction for that quarterback of Brady's still there because you're going to have all the eyes on how long will Brady play? Is Bill going to force him out? Maybe Brady takes his own hands and says, you know what? I'm ready to go to Los Angeles, write my own ending, and even if he leaves, Patriot fans can't be mad at him. He has become one of the greatest quarterbacks in history. They have become the greatest dynasty in history, and all they do is win, and he is a huge part in that, so... People don't remember. Before he came on the scene, that Patriot franchise was nothing. They had not had any real sustained success in the league. Now they become the model franchise of the NFL for two decades. Tom Brady can do what he wants. He has the right to go set his legacy wherever he wants it to be. Don't be shocked if it's in Los Angeles. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, uh, Patrick Schmidt, for calling in to – the college basketball season, recap something actually from the Champions Classic, all that good stuff. I also want to thank my friend Phil Frietta for calling in to do the NFL picks for week number 10. A lot of good stuff there. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at the Jets trade deadline fiasco last week, check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Simply search for Just and the Suffering on any of those platforms. You'll find all our old episodes there. There's been a lot coming out of late, so be sure to go in the archives, check out some of our recent episodes, and be sure to leave your feedback and star ratings as well. They'll help make our podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with the hashtag creative. Reference to Brody there with the creative approach the Mets takes to the offseason. Again, hashtag creative. Made it made at the end of this week's show. Next week, we're going to do our aforementioned Mets offseason preview. Still working on the guests for that. We're going to do some NFL picks and more. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Jets fans.